Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We'll look at the second half, beginning in verse 22. The title of my sermon today is, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10. If you're there with me, say word. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, and even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. I pray that as we go into this time of worship that you will open up our blind eyes to the truth that you have. Help us to see today. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We must all answer the question, is Jesus God? That's a question that we all must answer. Have you ever answered that question? Have you answered that question and truly believe the answer that you have? This entire time that we've been going through the Gospel of John, the focus has been John 20, 31 that says that I write these things to you that you may believe. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Everyone who has ever heard the name of Jesus has an opinion about Jesus. I mean, am I right? Everyone who has ever heard the name of Jesus has an opinion about Jesus. Every religion believes Jesus is something. 
But it's only in Protestant Christianity that you see that Jesus is God. Judaism believes that he was just a man. Islam believes that he was a prophet. Buddhists believe that he was an enlightened man. Hindus believe that he was a lowercase g God. And they have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of those gods. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he was created by God as the archangel Michael. And Thomas Jefferson believed that Jesus was just a good teacher. You can find online what is known as the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson decided to take all the miracles out of the New Testament and leave just the teachings, and that's what's in the Jefferson Bible. It's weird. If you were to ask people today, maybe in your school, maybe at your job, maybe even in your family, you would have an entire array of answers pertaining to whether or not Jesus is God. And I think you would be very surprised as to who would say what about Jesus. This, this is the most important question that we can ask ourselves. Is Jesus God? Why does it matter if Jesus is God? Why, why should it bother me if I haven't answered this question yet? I'll tell you why. Because our entire faith hinges on who Jesus is. And church, it matters. We have to get this right. John 5, 23 shows us that whoever dishonors the Son dishonors the Father. If we do not truly believe who the Son is, we're still dishonoring the Father. And hear this. If Jesus is not God, nothing matters. If we truly believe that this book, that, that if we truly believe that this is true, that this is inspired, that this is infallible, that this is the Word of God... The word from God. And Jesus is not God, then nothing matters because that would mean that this book is a lie. If Jesus is not God, nothing matters. You can live your life however you want to live if Jesus is not God. If Jesus is not God, there's no point in obeying him and following him. If Jesus is not God, there's no point in gathering together on a Sunday morning worship service. We gather together on Sunday mornings because we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if he's not God, what's the point? If Jesus is not God, nothing matters. But if Jesus is God, nothing else matters. Church, if, if Jesus is God, it changes everything. It should change how we live. It should change how we act. It should change what we do each and every single day. As I said earlier, John wrote this book so that we may see what Christ has done and that we may believe. And here, Jesus is being confronted by Jews who are asking him to, to tell them plainly, are you the Christ? 
He just got done in, in John 10, 1 through 21, giving a sort of a parable, saying, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I am the door that anyone who comes in can find safety and security and anyone can go out and find pasture. And these Jews are like, okay, you keep telling us in stories what, what, it, what tell us plainly. But here's, the, here's a couple problems with this statement. One of the problems is, is he has not clearly made a statement that he is the Messiah except once. And it was in John 4 to the Samaritan woman. Jesus is not walking around telling everybody, I am the Messiah. And the reason why is they have a misunderstanding of who the Messiah should be. When they, when the Jews hear of the Messiah, they're thinking of a political leader that will rescue them out from under Roman bondage. They're looking for another Moses to, to rescue them out of a type of bondage into a promised land. But what Jesus has come to be is not a political leader, but a spiritual savior. They're looking for a king on their terms. He's a king on his own terms. Another problem with the Jews asking this, asking this question is the Jews are wondering this because of the claims that he's already made. They are already hate-filled at this moment. They want to kill Jesus. They're looking for Jesus to make a statement to trap him. It's a trap. Any Star Wars fans? They're trying to trap him so they can kill him. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus makes two claims in his response. First, he's going to claim to be the Messiah, and second, he's going to claim to be the Son of God. So let's look at him first. Jesus the Messiah, if you've got your sermon inserts. Look at verses 25 through 30. This is after the Jews have, had, have said, how long will you keep us in suspense in verse 24? Basically what the Jews are saying there, how long will you keep us in suspense? They're saying, how long are you going to aggravate us? Just tell us who you are. And the big idea I want you to come across from this is Jesus is one with the Father and is the Messiah who has come to save his people from their sin. This is the, the message I want you to walk away with. Jesus is one with the Father and is the Messiah who has come to save his people from their sin. This, this helps us lead into Easter next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at John 11. I love how God works in sermon prep when we go through a book. The next passage, we're looking at the resurrection and the life. This leads into that. We see how Jesus is one with the Father and is the Messiah who has come to save His people from their sin. So take a look at verse 25. Let's look at Jesus the Messiah. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. All right, let's stop there. Jesus is saying, I've already told you through everything that I have done in the past 10 chapters, he didn't have chapters here, but in the past little bit that you've seen me here, I've told you that I'm the Messiah. 
I've, I, I've told you that I am the Savior. I, I have said I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I have shown this to you. John the Baptist witnessed this to you. He shared with everybody that there is one coming, and that was me. Jesus is saying, I have told you, and you do not believe. See, the Jews here are going to find any excuse to not believe. Have you ever met somebody like that? That you keep trying to share the gospel with them, but they keep coming up with any and every excuse possible to not believe? They've already got their minds made up. They want Jesus dead. He continues in verse 25, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. We see here in this passage some amazing truths and claims to the deity of Jesus. Jesus is he's claiming to be God here. He, he tells the Jews that, that he's already told them, but they still do, do not believe. And this is how he expresses his divinity. First, he expresses it with his works. If you cannot believe that Jesus is who he said he is by his works, then something's up. Because let me tell you, church, they've, they've yet to find the bones of Jesus Christ. And they're going to keep searching and they're going to keep looking. But guys, Jesus rose from the dead. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If we who are post-resurrection cannot believe Jesus is who he said he is by his works, something's up with us. We're having a hard time because maybe we don't want to submit to a God. We still want to be God of our own lives. But Jesus is saying here that my works Bear witness about me. It's not that he has done miracles that the Jews are upset about this. It's what these miracles point to. Every word and work that Christ did pointed to the fact that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Everything he did. There's not one thing he said or one thing he did that pointed away from that. And this is what miracles were, were meant for. They were meant to point to something. And we've seen the miracles through the first 10 chapters of John. We saw the, 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 the man who was paralyzed for, for almost four decades healed in chapter 5. We see the man who was blind healed in chapter 9. We saw Jesus turn water into wine in John chapter 2. We saw Jesus expand the bread into fish in John 6. And we saw him also walking on water in John 6. What more do these Jews want from Jesus? They're never going to be satisfied with any answer that Jesus gives. The only answer they will be satisfied with is if he claims to be the Messiah because then they've got him. Now we can kill him. Church, Christ has done some amazing works. And the works that Christ has done in your life and in my life point to who he is as well. I would have never loved Jesus without him loving me first. I would have never chosen Jesus without him doing a work in my own life first. I would have never been a preacher of the gospel without the work of Christ in my life. 
What Christ has done in our lives is the greatest tool we have to share in the gospel with others. Our own testimony, our own witness. Some of us are walking miracles in, in this room. Very loving. A walking miracle. Every story, I'm, I'm telling you, you just need to hang out with Barry Loving for like 10 minutes. Every story Barry Loving tells, it ends with, it's by the grace of God I'm still alive. So we see Christ has expressed his divinity through his works. Secondly, we see that he's expressed his divinity through his lordship. Look at verse 26. But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This claim shows us why the Jews do not believe who Jesus is because they are not among his sheep. They have not answered to Christ as shepherd. They have not heard the voice. They do not follow him. They hate him. And church, let me tell you, this is who we are before we come to know Christ. This is who we are before we hear the voice of Christ in our lives as he pulls us to himself. This is, we hate Jesus. Well, I've never hated Jesus. By the way you live your life before you come to know Jesus Christ, you hate Jesus. Because any sin you commit is a hammer to the nail in his hands and feet that hung him on the cross. Any sin that you commit is a spit in Jesus' face as he's laying there dying and bleeding. Your love for sin is your hatred towards Christ. And it's because he loved me first. It's because he grabbed my heart first and showed me his love for me. That now daily I'm growing in hatred, a, a stronger hatred towards sin. Church, this is who we are before, before we come to know Christ. We have rejected the truth that Christ is the Messiah. We are blind to it just like these Jews are. They don't understand who Jesus is because they've not been given to Jesus and they don't follow Jesus. What Christ shows us here is that he has called people from spiritual death to spiritual life. See, this is, this is the beauty of the gospel, church. Jesus does not call bad men to be better. He calls dead men to life. He takes a heart of stone, a, a heart that is just runs towards hell. We just sang about it. A heart that, that, that craves sin and craves God of their own life to where they don't even want Jesus. And God takes that heart and he crushes it into a heart of flesh. And he does a transforming work in us to where now we are his sheep and we listen to his voice and we follow him. Church, he is the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. He's, he's the Christ, the one who is leading people out of spiritual bondage into spiritual life. And next, the next thing that, that he expresses as his divinity is salvation. Verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Church, not only does Christ bring dead men to life, 
Christ saves us from eternal damnation in hell. To where now, we are now anticipating a time where we get to stand before the Savior, the creator of the universe, and worship him for all eternity. There will come a day when we get to do that. There will come a day when we stand before Christ. He gives his sheep eternal life, abundant life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. He does this by giving his own life. C.S. Lewis once said that Christ became man so that men, the Son of God became men, man so that men can become the Son of God, the sons of God. I totally butchered that. He suffered the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. Church, we deserve it. We deserve it, but Christ took it for us, and he gives us eternal life. He gives us his life. So not only do we see salvation as, a, as a, an expression of his divinity, but next, man, this is, this is where it gets really good. Security. Look at verse 28 again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Church, this eternal life that Christ gives comes with security. Christ holds us. That's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of a Savior holding his lamb, his sheep, He holds us close and He never lets us go. We are not able to stray from Him because He holds us. And look at verse 29. Not only does Jesus hold us, but verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Church, God the Father gives Christ the sheep those who will be saved. And as God the Father is giving Christ the sheep, He's holding the sheep. And Christ is holding the sheep. And they will never let us go. Never. No matter how bad you think you are, No matter how down in the dumps you may feel sometimes, no matter how lost you may feel, if you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, He will never let you go. We were at the beach one year. It was Jaden's second time going to the beach. And um, he loved the waves. Absolutely loved them. So much to the point, if I turn my eyes just for a second away from him and look back, he's already halfway to the waves without me. And so we're over there standing our ankle deep into the water. And Jaden says, I want to go deeper. And I said, okay, well, hold on to daddy. So he's holding my hand and he's holding tight. And so we go deeper. And Jaden at that time was about knee level to me. And so those waves, when they come in, I mean, they're already over his head. They're knocking him over. And he's just loving it. 
but we never lose hold of each other. Now, let me ask you something, church. Was it because of his hold of me that he never let go or because of my hold of him? If it was reliant upon his hold of me, he would let go every single time. But I held on to him. First off, I knew if I were to let him go, a shark was going to eat him. He's a cute little piece of bait. But I held on to him. And church, God the Father and God the Son holds on to us. That's a beautiful picture. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Church, I want you to hear this, okay? Your money cannot snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. Your career cannot snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. Nothing in your life can snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. Nothing. God has a firm grasp on us, and He never lets us go. The Jews do not believe in the next statement. They don't believe in any of this, but the next one is really the problem. The last thing that Jesus makes a claim of that expresses His divinity is His relationship to the Father. Now, I know I've never really taught on the Trinity here yet, but the Trinity is a beautiful doctrine of how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one. They're still distinct, but they're one. They, they are in relationship. They, they are in unity. They are one. Christ claims here in verse 30, I and the Father are one. And the Jews hate this. They know what Jesus is stating here. They're saying, you are now claiming to be equal to God. And church, this is ironic because we know that he is equal to God. He is God. Him and the Father are one. They're one in will. What, what the Father wills, the Son wills. What the Father loves, the Son loves. What the Father does, the Son does. They're one. Jesus has been saying, I am doing the, walk, the, the work of my Father. They are one, and the Jews hate this. In church, our eternal life, our joy, everything that we get from, 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 from Christ is held secure in the one God. The Father, Son, and Spirit hold it all secure for us. We can never lose hope with the Trinity. So what happens next? So we see Jesus the Messiah. So number two, let's look at Jesus the Son of God. What happens in 31? The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This isn't the first time Jesus is about to get stoned. The Jews pick up these stones in Jesus in verse 32. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? What have I done now that you're threatening to stone me with? Verse 33, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. First off, we see Jesus is making a claim here as the Son of God that he's been doing the works of God. 
He's been doing the works of God. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Let me tell you something, church. We are going to encounter opposition day in and day out as Christians. If you're not encountering opposition, I'm going to go ahead and make the statement that you're not putting yourself in a mission field. You're not putting yourself in an opportune way to share the gospel. We're going to encounter opposition. I've already encountered opposition in in, in my many years in ministry now. People do not like the fact that I'm a pastor. I know some of you are kind of giving me a weird eye. Used to. Pastors had a lot of respect. Am I right? Years back. Nowadays, not so much. Not so much, especially pastors who who hold firmly to the Word of God. People will ridicule you for standing on the Word of God now. People will criticize you. People will hate you. People will curse at, at you because you stand on the Word of God. Jesus is, is, is here making a stand that, that all I've been doing has been the works of the Father. Why are you trying to kill me now? And they say this. They say it is not for a good work. It's because you make yourself God. Blasphemy. Jesus answered in verse 34, Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. Now this comes from Psalms 82.6. Okay, just a brief quick little jump to it. Psalms 82.6 is talking about men who are receiving the word of God, and so they are called gods. All right, that's what God calls them. And in verse 38 or 35, Jesus says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? What he's saying is, bear, bear with me, is because in Psalms 82, God is claiming these people, he's calling them gods. Not in like a divinity aspect, but because they are receiving the word from God. And what Jesus is saying is, is because God's calling them God, what are you going to say about that? Why is it heretical for me to call myself the son of God? Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't receive the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus, he's making a stand here saying that that, that these men from Psalms 82, they received the word of God. There's nothing divine about them, but I'm divine. I am God. I and the Father are one. Why are you calling it heretical? Why are you calling it blasphemy? So what Jesus shows us here as the son of God, that he is supported by the word of God. He is supported by the Word of God. Now, verses 37 through 42. This is what I want to show you here. Jesus says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Church, hear this. Jesus is giving a final invitation to the Jews. Jesus, this is coming up on the end of his ministry here. From 11 on, we are now looking at the final days of Jesus. 
Jesus is giving a final invitation to believe. Jesus had enough grace for these Jews that are seeking to kill him to extend one last invitation to believe. And this is what he tells him in verse 38. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. Believe what I've done, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 20, 31, I write these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Lord. They didn't like that. Verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Where does he go? Verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. We are now coming up on Jesus, the Baptist's witness. Jesus is, is, is fleeing a hostile situation. It is not his time to die yet. So he flees to the Jordan, to an area where John the Baptist had heavy influence. And many came to him, verse 41, and they said, John did no sign. John did no miracles. He only proclaimed what was true about Jesus, and we believe it. Church, here is what I want to say to you as a church we need to throw the spotlight on Jesus. The spotlight's not to be on me. The spotlight's not to be on our programs. The spotlight's not to be on our worship team. The spotlight is to solely be on Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. Because of who Jesus is, because he is the Messiah, because he is one with the Father, because he's God, we throw the spotlight on Jesus. Every sermon we preach points to the gospel. Every Sunday we come into worship, we are to lift high the name of Jesus. He is our spotlight. We look to Him and nobody else. This is why I love verse-by-verse -verse preaching, because I don't come in here preaching my hobby horses. I don't come in here preaching what I like to preach on. I just want to preach Jesus. So let's go through a book of the Bible and show you Jesus. He needs to be our spotlight. As a church body, he needs to be our spotlight. Individually, as believers, we are to tell others what the truth is about Jesus. John the Baptist, everything that John said about this man was true. He did no sign. He was not fancy. I mean, the dude looked like he, he was a rough-looking man. I mean, he didn't have a healthy diet either. I mean, locust and wild honey. I mean, come on. But everything that he said about Jesus was true. Church, you don't have to know the, the entire Bible to share the gospel. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have all the scripture memorized. All you need to do is tell what is true about Jesus. And tell what he did in your life. And for those in this room who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, he is the most precious jewel that you could ever have. He is the greatest treasure that you could ever have in your life. He is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me because let me tell you, when times are good, I thank Jesus for it. And when times are bad, 
I'm looking to Jesus for it. Jesus has been the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Jesus has changed my life. Has he changed yours? Do you know him as the Messiah? Do you know him as God? Do you know him as the Savior who has come to save his people from their sins? If not, come talk to me. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a, a minute. You can come up and talk to me here, or you can wait till after service, but don't wait too long. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next five minutes. Come and know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for who you are. We are thankful for your word. And God, we are thankful that you sent your son to be the Messiah who has saved his people from their sins. So God, I pray. I pray that if there's anyone in here who needs to know you, who, who is not part of your sheep, I pray that you would call them. I pray that you would draw them to you. I pray that you would change their heart and help them to see who you are. We love you, God, and we praise you. We thank you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.